Live at 5 Sports with Todd and Suhan brought to you by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort. Tough loss for the Twins late last night. Jim out on the West Coast in Los Angeles, a place they don't have a lot of success in recent days. And, uh, you know, a few uh, unusual things went against them in last night's game as well. Yeah, it was one of those games that's hard to capture in a, a brief conversation or a brief mm-hmm. story. They, uh, Pablo Lopez continues to struggle, especially early in games. That is concerning. Uh, the Dodgers, hey, let's say this: the Dodgers are really good, uh, and playing at home, they have they're just they're hard to beat. I thought the Twins showed a lot of life uh, coming back from that. Larnick, who was swinging and missing by three feet before he got sent down, hits a big three-run homer. Polanco looked really good. Buxton looked like he's getting it together. Um, you know, Brock Stewart still isn't zero-zero ERA, and they had chances to win in extra innings. Uh, I usually don't complain about umpires, refs. Uh, because it's just usually it's a very one-sided view. You, you people tend to forget that the other team probably had some calls go against them too, uh, and winners just end up not complaining about that stuff. But I, I thought the uh, called strikes to Kirloff were really bad. I thought the ball down the first baseline, um, it's close. Every angle I saw made it look foul. I just think that should be reviewable. I don't know why everything else is reviewable and that isn't, and that might have been the game. Yeah, that was good to ask you about that. So they they have this uh, caveat in the replay rules that if the ball is right in front of an umpire, that it's not reviewable. Is that how that works? Yep. Well, that seems strange. uh, It makes no sense to me. I mean, the idea is to have reviews to get things right, and it's not – I don't know how you're helping anybody, including the umpire himself, if you don't review something that he just obviously got wrong with that's right in front of him. Hmm. I I think my guess is that, hey – the, the umpires have an, an association, they have a union, and my guess is they were scrambling to get all the assurances and, um, you know, the, the negotiating points they could on their side. Maybe that's all they could win is, hey, okay, let's not review the ones that are right in front of us. But, you know, eventually you just got to do what's right for the game, and it's silly to have a, a key play like that not reviewable if it's pretty obviously wrong. And another thing that uh, after watching that Kirilov at bat where there was two pitches that were never strikes, that were called strikes, and he really didn't get a chance to have it at bat uh, in that particular uh, situation, uh, it makes me uh, pull for, you know, the automated umpiring to come sooner rather than later. How about tomorrow? How about yeah. yesterday? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. It just, you know, once again, the, these are billion-dollar industries now. This ain't mom-and-pop stuff. These are billion-dollar industries Billions of dollars uh, are being bet on these games. You can't have somebody up there leaning over a catcher's shoulder and, you know, and not being able to see the strike zone. I mean, and it's not quaint to have every umpire have his own strike zone and his own rules and, and enforce them in his own way and have missed calls, you know, destroy the game. I mean, it, it's just so simple. You know, it just just have an automated strike zone. And, and you know what? The home plate umpire is still necessary. You know, you still need to run the game, still need to watch the picks. I mean, the, the home plate umpire will still have plenty to do. Uh, you're not going to lose any jobs. But just yeah. let's just do it. The job's too hard for humans. It is. I mean, especially late in the game, the umpire's been out there for how many hours, although a shorter yep. a shorter time now. And the guys they bring in at the end have this filthy stuff. I can't imagine trying to call a 101-mile-an-hour fastball uh, from Jawan Duran, and then he snaps off some kind of a curveball that you're not expecting to see, and it comes out of the same arm angle. It's hard to hit, and like you said, it's hard to umpire. It's hard to call those pitches. It is, and think about what the umpire's asked to do. He's asked to crouch down, 
behind a catcher with a face mask on and lean over one shoulder or the other. Well, which shoulder you lean over affects your view of the strike zone. Mm -hmm. Nobody, they're not front set. They're not sitting in front of a computer screen. They are dealing, as you said, with three dimensional pitches Mm -hmm. that they're seeing from an angle. It's just not possible to get it right that often. Yeah, uh, certainly not often enough uh, that we need it. Uh, that that at bat to Kirilov was just taken from him, and that's difficult to handle as as a player and as a team. Is that you know it was one of the factors that led to the loss uh, for the Twins. Uh, but the hitting uh, seems to have turned around. All of a, I mean, we're we're begging for hits of any kind, and now the Twins are scoring some run here uh, in the last few games, which is good to see. Hopefully, they can keep it going. Yeah, and I think we're seeing some things fall into place. Buxton was on a terrible slump. He's broken out of it. Correa had broken out of his slump and would look terrible last night. I don't know what's going on there, but, you know, it it can happen. Uh, Not every hitter sees the ball out of every pitcher's hand the same. Uh, Kirilov is taking good at bats. Uh, Larnick uh, really righted himself after getting sent down. He said it really helped him. Uh, You know, you have uh, Polanco, I think one of the – one of the true keys to this offense is starting to swing the bat well. Uh, Royce Lewis has been moved up to AAA. Kyle Farmer takes professional at bats. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're starting to see the team that they hoped. And I, you know, that was my column the other day off the Sunday win. Is, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're in first place. They're hanging in there. And they really haven't had much go right yet in terms of injuries and timing and key players performing well. Uh, you know, it, you, you could – you could see this team getting on a run, and it might not happen in Los Angeles. The Dodgers are great, but you can see this team getting on a run at this point. Yeah, uh, no doubt, and and certainly appear to be a, a much better balanced team than anybody else in the Central Division. Yeah, uh, Cleveland, listen, really intelligent organization. They always have a certain amount of pitching. They don't have lineup depth. Uh, the Twins, the Twins should be a better team than Cleveland. Yeah, and yeah. I think if they have any kind of luck and health, they will prove it over the course of the summer. Yeah. Hey, you know, somebody who has really become part of the Twin Cities media family is Marnie Gellner. And and I saw an interview with her during the Twins game here a couple nights ago while they were still at home. And and, uh, she's been battling cancer and and is now cancer-free. Give us a Marnie Gellner story. I'm sure you know her. Oh, you know, I've known Marnie for years. I don't know if I have a great anecdote. I don't have, like, a funny story. I'll just say that, that, you know, Marnie's just one of those people that, she's one of those rare people that everybody actually likes. Yeah. They don't just say they like her. They actually like her. <laughs> uh, she's, she, she's just a really, uh, she's a really good person. She's really down to earth. She's really good at her job. Uh, she treats everybody well. Uh, you know, and she's, you know, she'll, she'll work all day at, you know, the TV station and she'll go home and she'll take her kids to the, the Eden Prairie football game. I mean, she's, she is, she is the uh, embodiment of the phrase salt of the earth, you know, and, and frankly, in TV, you don't always get that. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it is a it is an industry that uh, that, that requ- requires and plays to ego quite often. Um, there's a lot of megalomania going on there. Marnie is the and Marnie is the antithesis of that. She is she is the classic person you would want to have a beer with. Yeah, so it was great to see her uh, interviewed with uh, uh, you know Dick and Justin Morneau here uh, the other night. So the NBA draft lottery is tonight. Oftentimes that's interesting for Timberwolves fans, and then disappointing sometimes shortly thereafter not involved in the draft lottery uh this year so they won't get a chance at victor wemben yama uh what can you tell us about the the seven foot three french kid well only the guy only the team with the number one pick is going to have a chance at him so yep. the wolves are not going to get him in today's circumstances <laughs> no seven uh he's a french kid seven foot three excellent shooter excellent ball handler excellent passer excellent defender great attitude charisma 
seems to have a good head on his shoulders, seems to have surrounded himself with really smart people. Um, he is going to be the next big thing. Yeah. He is going to be phenomenal. And so what I've been trying to ask myself is where would I, and you know, in the modern lottery, no one team really has that big an advantage. I think like the, there are three teams, including Detroit that have a 7% chance of getting him in the lottery. And that's the best chance of anybody. So we don't know where he's going, but I, I've been asking myself, where would he do the most good? Where would he be the best fit? And part of me is like Portland is a great basketball town, the great basketball arena, not much else going on there in terms of sports. Mm-hmm. And this kid would just be, you know, an endearing superstar in a great market. Detroit, uh, you know, anything that can help. And Detroit has made a lot of progress as a city in the last five, ten years. Mm-hmm. And, boy, uh, he would be great for the image of Detroit. I mean, there are a lot of places you could go. I don't want to see him in some some godforsaken place like Orlando, but, you know, who knows where he ends up. But, I mean, this guy is – He's stunning. He's a stunning basketball player. Yeah, I've seen more than one uh, say that this is the most hype surrounding a kid coming into the uh, NBA draft lottery since LeBron back yep. in whatever it was, 2002 or something like that. So, you know, biggest hype since LeBron, that's saying something. It is. And LeBron somehow um, surpassed expectations. You yeah. Know, when you look at his body of work. And this kid, uh, you know, listen, injuries are the biggest variable in sports. Uh, you know, I, I think we've gotten past the era of the, the guy who gets the money and, and can't handle it. Uh, you know, p- t- these people, seem, athletes tend to have very good advisors around them now mm-hmm. and people who can really chart a good course for them. So I just think if this guy stays healthy, he's going to be he's going to be the next LeBron type figure in the league. Yeah. Uh, who do you like in the NBA playoffs out of the finals in each conference? Uh, I I think Boston just has too much depth for Miami. You know, Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolster just kind of dragged that team to this point. But yeah. I, to me, Boston would have to lose that series for Miami to win that series. I, yeah. I could see Boston in five or six. Uh, I think that the Lakers have kind of masterfully maneuvered their way through the end of the season in the playoffs, you know, giving their key players enough rest. I don't think that approach is going to work against the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are too good. Jim, thanks so much. Thanks, Todd. Live at 5 Sports at Todd and Suhan brought to you by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort.